Gold? Who sees gold? I see nothing but air. Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. Uh, I am here in person, finally, at the place <laughs> in where, the this, flesh. Yeah, where, where this all began. Uh, in Boston, myself and Austin are sitting in a dimly lit room, very romantic, uh, uh, with a single candlelight lighting in between us. <laughs> no, we're not really. Um, Austin, how's it going? Things are great, Matt. It's yeah, it's great to be back here in person at, at the place where this all started in a now remodeled version of the same podcast recording room that we were in before. <laughs> so very interesting place to be now. Um, there's a lot more wood paneling in this room now. There is. It's it's taken an upgrade. We've cut down a few more trees. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 very exciting to be in Boston, and we've got some awesome. Uh, stories from around the crypto and blockchain space that uh, we'd like to talk about here. Yeah, I think we've had some really interesting guests. We've got more interesting guests coming. We figured we'd take a, take an episode to run through some interesting stories that have been coming up and we can just uh, share some of our thoughts on those. And the, the first one of these stories that, that we should dig into is all focused around uh, taxation, and in particular, within Portugal. So what we've seen here is an interesting story that's kind of broken out in the, the past few days. This kind of took me by surprise, if I'm completely honest. Yeah. And the, the long and short of it is that the Portuguese uh, tax agency have said, or tax authority, should I say, have said that cryptocurrency transactions, personal transactions that are made will not incur any income tax and also any business related uh, transactions made in cryptocurrency will not have any VAT assigned to them so value-added tax this is kind of surprising if I'm completely honest Um, Portugal have been a a somewhat innovative and forward-thinking country in many like social aspects so I guess it doesn't come as a crazy surprise but we haven't seen many countries adopt such a drastic stance on cryptocurrency and willing to take a bet on it, so to speak, especially not in Europe. Yeah, um, the the one side of this that I have been exposed to is my uh, friend who is Portuguese and living in Portugal said that this is basically just the result of the ineptitude of, of the government and the, the bureaucratic system basically not having an answer to how they would address cryptocurrencies and, and tax them and being too slow to come up with that answer and, and sort of ceding to uh, not taxing them being easier than coming up with a plan to tax them. And then using that as perhaps a little bit of a differentiator. When this news came out, uh, you saw a lot of folks sort of asking questions like, hey, you know, I'm in the EU. What are some ways that <laughs> I can like move myself or my crypto to somehow be under this jurisdiction yeah. so that it doesn't get taxed? I saw so many people, and it was like in the comments of like all the news articles. There was a lot of people in the US, and they're like, "Well, I guess I'll move all my Bitcoin to to Portugal." It's like, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's exactly quite how taxation law works. <laughs> and also, what do you even mean, move your Bitcoin to Portugal? Yeah, that's the that's the thing that I think is there's a little bit of a difference. 
difficult piece to figure out there. But um, yeah, it is really interesting that this is specifically personal income tax. Um, If you are a trader, then you are going to be subjected to taxation. Um, so if you're if you're trading cryptocurrency professionally, then this this would not apply to you. Um, or if that's like the pr- the primary exchange of wealth that that you're engaging with. But if this is purely on a personal basis, then uh, yeah, you're not subjecting. Yeah, it's, it seemed like, and to to your point, when it was like this seems like a reaction because the Portugal tax authority don't really know what to do with cryptocurrency i think that's further backed up because they released this big report and they cited a number of pretty old court rulings i think one of them was like from 2015 um which was where the european court of justice ruled on bitcoin.se which is like a massive swedish uh bitcoin trading portal that um because Bitcoin transactions were deemed as like a means of payment. They didn't need to pay VAT on them. Well, what happened is like the like the, the following year or so, uh, first of all, the Swedish tax authority made a massive case against this and appealed and said basically the European Court of Justice did not understand cryptocurrency very well. Um, I mean, we were talking about this a lot around regulation in 2017 around ICOs. So 2015, I mean, this is like, I think this was like pre-Ethereum days of like when this was launching. You can kind of understand how like major institutions and major courts struggle to even get their head around what the hell Bitcoin was. At that yeah, time. definitely. So like, I, and it seems like this is, this is where a lot of this has stemmed from. I think this, in my opinion, will almost certainly be reversed yeah. as, <laughs> as Bitcoin and wider cryptocurrency is adopted more and more and more and becomes embedded into our daily like transactions a lot more. Um, but for the foreseeable future, I mean, it's pretty uh, great news for anyone that's not wanting to pay a whole lot of capital gains as a Portuguese resident or not looking to pay income tax on any of their, any of their sales of, of cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. At least for the time being, it's a very interesting proposition. But I have to agree with you. I can't imagine this being something that sticks around for too long unless somehow the Portuguese government is enlightened uh, and realizes that this is uh, uh, like it provides other economic benefits Mm. to the country. Like if uh, as Bitcoin continues to grow, um, you know, if it becomes an attract an attractive piece uh, or factor for companies and individuals to be based in Portugal and to do business in Portugal, I could see maybe, you know, it becomes just like another form of a corporate tax break or something to that effect. Um, but I, yeah, I think that like you, like we were both saying earlier, there's probably a little bit of this is like, you know, we don't really have an answer. So this is what we're going to say right now. And then we'll come up with more uh distinct policy later on down the line when we understand this technology better. Now, interestingly, meanwhile, the IRS was sending out letters to over 10,000 cryptocurrency holders in relation to paying taxes on their crypto that they uh, haven't paid taxes on in their last filing. So, mm. <laughs> Well, I, I think this is like a great example, right, of where 
two different countries at differing levels of maturity uh, from cryptocurrency adoption and understanding on a regulation level, adopting different approaches. Mm-hmm. For Portugal, if they don't really have a great answer and a great framework to deal with this, it's actually much easier to just say, hey, look, we're just not going to charge VAT on this. Yeah, yeah. You avoid the issues of um, having to set up infrastructure to track, to follow up, on like tax like rebase to even think about how do you pay tax on for mm-hmm. example bitcoin can mm-hmm. you pay in bitcoin do you have to pay in the euro when do you determine the valuation of like that etc 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 it's a lot of infrastructure that has to be built around that and that is where the u.s government and more partic- uh, more specifically the irs right a lot more advanced starting to see a lot of big institutions adopting cryptocurrency. Um, KYC, know your customer laws, are present heavily in the US where you have to register to trade on platforms like Coinbase, for example. Wherever you're trading out fiat currency into cryptocurrency, you, the AML and KYC laws apply in the US. So at least the IRS has a function, a foundation to start tracking some of these and also we i think we talked about this maybe a year ago maybe not even quite that uh where the where coinbase agreed to inform uh, the irs of any transactions that were being made through their platform that exceeded i want to say 20k in usd worth so like there are things being set up and now it seems like the irs is ready to kind of go and be more aggressive on going after these taxes yeah. In, in fairness, rightly so. Yeah. IRS Commissioner Chuck Reddick said, quote, taxpayers should take these letters very seriously by reviewing their tax filings and when appropriate, amend past returns and pay back taxes, interest, and penalties. So I do think it's a fairly clear message that they're trying to send to your point around this being, you know, a- another signal that you can't just get away with not paying taxes on cryptocurrency. Oh, 100%. Like, and I, I think a lot of people don't quite realize, like, when they talk about paying back taxes, right? Like, if you have misfiled a tax return in 2015, right? <laughs> that doesn't just go away. Like, yeah. you, I can guarantee you that the IRS will go back through, and especially if you are flagged as someone who has either transacted or owns a lot of cryptocurrency there's an immediate flag right and they will dig deeper and you will get a check uh, a bill that comes to you that says hey you need to pay x amount within a short period of time like this stuff happens all the time and i i kind of get annoyed when people complain about this and it's like well no like i shouldn't be like cryptocurrency is decentralized i shouldn't be paying taxes on this and it's like well i i'm sorry but i don't know if that's even remotely a great argument in any way i i see like the there is a definite appetite for more like self-sovereignty but like you're also taxes are used to fund things you're uh, you're residing in a country where you abide by tax laws just because this is bitcoin it doesn't mean that you don't have to pay tax um so at least for at least right now and yeah people if they don't take this stuff seriously like you will get seriously stung there's so many articles, I think, around the time of, like, the ICO boom where people got, like, a bill that was, like, hundreds of thousands and they'd blown it all on Lambos and cocaine. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, oh, whoops. <laughs> Better sell the cars. Uh, yeah. 
and yeah, there's like people that have like felt the wrath of this, and they're going to be made examples of as well. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. I mean, with with the Bitcoin thing specifically, or with cryptocurrencies, I think that um, it's probably that perspective that you're articulating is less based on the technology and more based on a like the principle that is felt, you know, by those those people um, that. Uh, taxes on capital gains or taxes on income are theft. Right. And, you know, whether that be through fiat currency or through a cryptocurrency, it doesn't change that. But the difference is that the cryptocurrency may potentially afford you a way to force that change. Um, so, so that, you know, uh, that those taxes wouldn't be collected anymore. And it could be upsetting to people that um, when, you know, government still attempts to impose itself uh, despite the technology, you know, um, that that's that's not what they expected, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think the other big challenge is like, wow, I mean, no one really knows how to go about filing their Bitcoin tax return. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like your traditional accountant is not going to be the person that you can go to. Um, I've definitely felt that exact problem myself. There is this flourishing um, community of blockchain accountants, which I think are going to be incredibly important, but also come with the price tag uh, to... Uh, that, that befits their specialism and their specific need right now. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot there that makes it challenging. It's not yeah. as easy as firing up TurboTax, right, and just uh, throwing in your your uh, your your public key into the into the uh, software. I think there are some cool taxation software for cryptocurrency out there. I'm trying to remember what the what the one was that I saw. Not that long ago. I'll have to figure it out and I'll show it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But you've also got stuff like Blockfolio and things like that yeah. that help to an extent. Track yeah, it. but I mean, if you look up like the guides that exist online for it right now, it's so convoluted. Oh, yeah. So it's difficult. Yeah. So yeah, lots going on. We'll keep a, we'll keep an eye on what's going on over in Portugal, and I'm sure we're going to keep an eye on what's happening uh, as we get to the end of like this tax year over in the US. We're definitely going to get uh, one of those blockchain uh, accountants on the podcast so we can dig in a bit deeper close to the time, and we'll we'll try and uncover all the mysteries that are shrouded within. <laughs> um, what's the second topic that we're going to chat through today, Austin? Yeah, so uh, this one is interesting, something that I think is very pertinent to the conversations that we've recently been having around Libra because there's some parallels between them. And that is that China's central bank digital currency is ready, according to them, <laughs> after five years of development. Now, um, this may be discussed as a form of cryptocurrency. Uh, it's really a digital currency. It uses... Sounds like Libra. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so it uses blockchain technology, but it's not fully blockchain powered. And this is mainly because blockchain technology can't produce a transaction per second speed that would work in retail right now. Yeah, it seems like in a lot of the articles and stuff that I was reading and from a lot of the spokespeople from like the the people's bank of china they need the transaction speeds to operate in the same way as like many retail payment processes and i think we were we were looking at this with um facebook where they were saying libra is going to operate at something like a thousand uh transactions per second but then you've got the likes of visa and mastercard which 
off the top of my head, I think we're like 40,000 like transactions per second. So I think a lot of the biggest concerns from the uh, the China Central Bank was like, will it have the transaction um, output? to facilitate like the retail needs for this and that i think is one of the reasons why it's not going to be fully blockchain powered um i mean even if it was going to be blockchain powered uh it certainly wasn't going to be a decentralized uh, public blockchain so yeah for sure i mean i think that in watching china's response to cryptocurrency and to bitcoin specifically uh with their efforts to shut down exchanges but not completely outlaw the ownership of bitcoin with within the country it shows that they're watching but they don't they may not feel directly threatened by bitcoin and in fact they may feel threatened more by other digital currencies that are not under the total control of the Chinese surveillance state. Um, Libra. Uh. Yes. (laughs) So early in July, uh, the former governor of the PBOC, which is the People's Bank of China, said that Libra poses a threat to payment systems and national currencies. And I don't think it's likely that this is like a, a direct answer to Libra or, or, you know, that it was caused as a response to Libra, just because if they're telling the truth that it's been in development for five years, I, I wouldn't expect, I don't know, maybe they knew what was happening, but it would, it would be odd, I think. Um, so this was probably just happening in parallel and then conveniently, um, you know, Libra came out and then now there's announcements, uh, or at least the announcement about Libra came out and then now there's announcements about the, the Chinese digital currency. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at, I mean, we were talking what way back in 2017. I think we did uh, that episode. I want to say it was the last episode of Series One where we talked about like how decentralized, like the argument against Bitcoin, right, mm-hmm. and how decentralized it really was. And actually, the large majority of all of the Bitcoin mining that was happening at that time was all in China. Yeah, you had a massive share of all of the. Bitcoin mining uh, technology, so like the the actual mining rigs, things like that. Bitmain, mm-hmm. Chinese company, and like they've they've had these these companies have been asserting a huge amount of power into uh, a project, a movement that is supposed to strip power from central entities. And my take on this, in terms of like China launching their digital currency, is. And we were talking a little bit about this before is like this is about yes china profiting from digital currencies but also having control and having and, and in the exact way i actually think that facebook approaches this yes facebook was not going to profit from bitcoin right bitcoin is not there to like profit any like individual bitcoin is decentralized itself it's what's built on top of that right like the exchanges the likes of the binances of the world the coin basis of the world yes cryptocurrency is like traded through them but they are a centralized body that's a for-profit company that's built on top of and uses this company uh technology Mm -hmm. within it i think that what facebook and the chinese central bank have done here is they've said okay well now we want to actually do the whole lot we want to profit from the currency itself and we need to create our own we want to have access to all of that data those transaction data the movements and also own our stake in like the 
the global money economy 2.0 mm-hmm. um and i don't even think that they're trying to hide that ambition in any way either I don't. Yeah. Um, And I really think that the motive here is definitely in surveillance and control. Um, Being able to uh, shut down an individual's access to funds um, at at whim and at will is certainly appealing (laughs) um, to to an oppressive regime. Right. Yes. Um, I also on the note about Bitcoin, I think, you know, it's worth acknowledging that um, plenty of people in the Chinese Communist Party that have tons and tons of money, billions of dollars, that is is in the form of yen, um, they they want to get that money out of the country, and one of the ways that they can do that effectively is through Bitcoin or decentralized cryptocurrencies, uh, and I think that that's also probably part of the reason. Aside from, um, you know, w- before we were, were recording, we were talking a bit about the Hong Kong protests and how you could almost liken the the Chinese response to Hong Kong to their response to Bitcoin, and that they will not make concessions, but they also uh, will not risk losing a fight. And um, they will most likely lose a fight if they decide to, to actually engage and commit uh, gross human rights violations in Hong Kong. And in the same way, they would most likely lose a fight with a decentralized currency. It's, it's very diff- difficult for a government to go up against something like that, if not impossible. Of course, they've expressed that they can go after the exchange points and the, the, the pieces that are centralized. But um, I think that they... Uh, don't want to risk, you know, losing face in, in any fight um, that large. Yeah, and that's a huge part of what maintains their, their like, both their illusion and their actual amount of strength that they, they have. Yeah, uh, power and projection. Exactly. It's c- continuously picking the fights that they will win and winning them. Yes. And, they, and, and I think that this is also where with this digital currency, I have absolutely no doubt that in the goals that the the Chinese government will set out for this, it will be wildly successful. They have all of the distribution the uh, that they need to make this successful, but they also have a huge amount of power over everything that's kind of running in terms of distribution. A, a classic example already in play here, right, is so, I was I was reading through a lot of this and like China's central bank is already expected to distribute the digital currency through the the big four state-owned banks, right? <laughs> Emphasis on the state-owned banks. Yes. They have control over this. This is the Industrial Commercial Bank of China, China Construction Bank, Agricultural Bank of China and the Bank of China. Um and then more importantly, well, not necessarily more importantly, but I think more telling in all of this, uh through mobile payment systems. Alipay, which is Alibaba's uh, payment processor, which is like one of the biggest e-commerce companies in the world, big enough to rival the likes of Amazon, which ironically many people outside of China have not really heard of Alibaba that much. Um, And WeChat, which is, I want to go out on a limb and say is probably just as many users of like wechat in china as there would be facebook users in the us if not more like oh definitely more yes yes definitely more um it's it is 
huge. Mm. WeChat is the the adoption is huge. Uh, and to your point, yeah, WeChat Pay is ba basically WeChat is a super app. Uh, mm -hmm. We've lightly touched on these in the past, but it attempts to be a an operating system in the form of an application. So you can do everything from you know talking to friends to um, paying paying for something, and um, the average Chi Chinese individual will spend hours per day, multiple hours per day in the WeChat app from the moment that they wake up to the moment that they go to sleep. And it can do, there's all kinds of things in WeChat that uh, like features that are partially enabled by the level of surveillance that it deploys that um, like in the Western context, we couldn't even imagine them being possible. Like for example, predicting when a person is going to be in a place a day before they are there or something like that. Um, and this of course is all, all filtered back to the Chinese government and they have control uh, on a very, very detailed level over the the individual, you know, WeChat accounts, right? Um, and what they have access to and, and what they're able to do, including their, their financial capabilities. Um, and of course, you know, this is, this all plays into um, like impacts with greater surveillance and the social credit score mm -hmm. that that is being worked on right now, which is sort of clouded in, in a lot of, like unknown circumstance. Um, but yeah, basically I, I think that the, the, this digital currency is, it's something that the, the Chinese government is going to roll out from multiple access points. It's gonna be very easy to use it. And then uh, in turn, it's going to be very easy to control it. 100%. Um, and I think this is like, when you look at, I do actually see, although, um, it's fair to say these are two very different projects in Libra and uh, with the China Central Bank's digital currency. Their approach to increasing adoption of this is incredibly similar. Um, Facebook's approach was build out the Libra Association, get institutions that can help with the distribution of the of the digital currency into and get access across the board with uh, the digital currency. You've got the likes of, we've already talked about this, but the likes of Uber, MasterCard, et cetera, et cetera, all on board. And the big difference though with uh, with China is they can take their digital uh, currency and there is very little conversation that needs to be had to just literally in like the next day, this be a staple part of everything that's done within China. I think they will probably slowly roll this stuff out again as part of your your point of not losing. I think they will be cautious. The eyes will be on it. Um, and even if it were to not go very well, I don't think that we would be able to know that from the way they'll report yeah. on things. Yes, sure. Uh, which is an important piece in all this. But we'll see how this pans out. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays outside of China as well. Um, I'm not sure how that will work. And similarly, I'm very interested to see if Libra ever touches the, uh, the <laughs> yeah. land of China. We'll see that. Yeah, or if it ever touches any land whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's a very Before good it gets point. regulated out of existence. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, all right, so we'll we'll stay we'll stay close to that. I think we're going to start hearing more and more about that. Twenty twenty is going to be a massive year. I think it's going to be a big year for more quote uh, digital currencies unquote yes. that will start to arrive. Um, ultimately, centralized 
digital currencies. Riding the wave of the, yeah. the crypto boom. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if I feel great about that overall, but we'll see I how don't. it... <laughs> yeah, we'll I don't see. feel great about that at all. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I am interested in the, the capability, as we've talked about lightly previously, the capabilities of Libra to introduce at scale people to digital currencies. I'm interested in its capability to perhaps be adopted as a, like a state sponsored or a currency for for failed states or if not a way for people in failed states or or within uh, you know under subject to oppressive regimes as an alternative you know that something that is backed by stable currencies um, but I'm not interested in it and the proliferation of technology like it and that it uh, completely goes against some of the core tenets uh, that that were behind the you know the very genesis of decentralized currency. Yeah, and on a more practical level of just democracy. Yes, I mean yeah. what we are talking about here is putting outrageous amounts of power in private for-profit organizations that basically undermine and will have infinitely greater power over governments than ever before. Um, and I think our track record of trusting private companies to do the right thing has not always been uh, a great thing for us. So far, at least. <laughs> I'm sure it'll get better. I'm sure. Uh, all right. Final thing that we should touch on in this. This was an interesting thing that you pulled uh, You pulled out from Twitter, Austin, actually. And this came from uh, Crypto Voices. If any of you listening have not checked out the Crypto Voices Twitter, it's crypto underscore voices. They uh, pull through lots of different analysis. Um, and they released their Q2 2019 report on the global monetary base. Uh, had a ton of really interesting insights in it, and they, they often pull this out. But just as a quick like TLDR on what this actually is. So um, it, it's comprised of, the report is comprised of the top 30 fiat currencies in the world. Um, these countries are directly used with, by 61 countries in the world. Uh, the currencies are pegged or boarded by 53 more countries around the world. And in totality, they comprise of like 94.4% of GDP in the world. So the large majority of like major currencies. Um, and they're valued at, I think, roughly just under $20 trillion USD. One of the biggest things in all this, then this is what you kind of highlighted to, to me, Austin, was in this global uh, monetary base report, it values Bitcoin. If you include gold and silver in this as a, as a currency, it, uh, it values Bitcoin as the number 11 uh, largest kind of currency in the world or money in the world, which is pretty incredible when you talk about the and, and to be clear, we're talking about this is like in terms of like total supply value. Um, that's pretty dramatic. There are some pretty large like currencies in there that are way behind. Bitcoin. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, we'll link to the tweet which has the graph um, in the description here. And certainly um, when you start to get into the likes of USD and the Japanese yen, um, Bitcoin is 
dwarfed oh, by yeah. by comparison. So, uh, and then once once you throw gold into the mix, it, everything uh, the axis gets a, a little bit crazy. But um, definitely. Uh, it is interesting to see the currencies that are behind mm. Bitcoin, um, and and what that means, and and the the rapid rise that it's taken to this position. Yeah, I mean, when you look at like Bitcoin, right? So total supply as of the end of June 2019, this is uh, from the report, uh, was uh, 0.19 trillion. USD. So it's all been rounded into USD. You've got British pound sterling, uh, 0.73 uh, trillion USD, soon to be closer to 0. 0.00 after Brexit. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't wait for that. <sighs> oh, Christ. Uh, and then you've got USD, 3.29 trillion. That's a significant multiple on Bitcoin. But then, like, yeah, you go up to uh, Japanese yen, 4.85 trillion. Then gold, uh, you've got like 8.43 trillion, which is the number one um, like supply of money. Um, there, it's still an impressive amount. And what's even more impressive is when like you look at like December 2016, Bitcoin was like number 31 in that list. And now fast forward to June 2019, and it's at number 11. Yes, I think that's the, the most interesting part of this is the rapid growth to its position and the currencies that it's surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's uh, it's super interesting. We'll link into that Twitter thread. There's a ton of analysis that honestly we just wouldn't have time to go into. I think the the final piece of the episode that we want to end out on a high is the incredible news. Uh, probably the news we've all been waiting for is that boxer Manny Pacquiao has finally launched his much-anticipated cryptocurrency pack. It's going to be bigger than Bitcoin, right? Matt, I just have to say, I think it is so genius and innovative for a cryptocurrency to be celebrity-backed. I've never encountered something like that before. It's incredible. (laughs) Somebody call DJ Khaled. (laughs) Get him here. And we should just pile together all of these celebrities and create a super currency <laughs> and they could dictate global monetary policy we like what about pitbull let's get pitbull <laughs> in and have him decide what we do here why are these celebrities just to be clear to all our listeners we do not these are not our views we cannot stand this continuous celebrity endorsement of cryptocurrencies what? How is this still happening? Yeah, I'm. I'm really surprised, uh, personally, and I. I know that you've you've felt the same way about this. That, um, like the the last three or four of these that we've reported on, it was like, wait, why? Why? Why are they still doing this? Like this does. He, do they not have like a PR team that's like, hey, this is going to be a total turd and then it's going to ruin your name and your trust? lawsuits against them. Yeah. I think Floyd Mayweather uh, had like a massive lawsuit against him for a lot of this. Loads of celebrities have been paying damages. Like, is it really? I just feel like the people that are doing this are just showing their true colors. Literally all they care about is create, uh, like making cash for themselves. And like, like this... That there's nothing that directly links more making some personal gains at the expense of everyday people 
losing money. You are taking money out of their pockets and putting it into yours. That's the thing that hurts me the most with this kind of stuff is like these these people are actually many of them supposed to be role models to people in their sport and yet yeah i guess i i mean maybe i'm being too generous here but like i'm sure i'm sure that you know like profiteering is certainly part of it but i also think that you know just because somebody's a, a good boxer doesn't mean that they're going to be like a good tech speculator or a good you know financial analyst um and is what you're telling me manny pacquiao it was not the blockchain developer behind <laughs> yeah. the pack cryptocurrency because if so i'm gonna be really upset <laughs> yeah i mean and i th i feel like consumers i at least should should be able to inf infer that right but um also i don't know i as with all tech um mainstream celebrities that have become renowned for something completely unrelated to tech, um, still tend to adopt tech fa fairly lately. Yeah. With like every tech revolution, we see stuff like this. Of course, that's not you know 100% across the board, but um, somebody that is very intelligent in like fitness training isn't necessarily going to be very intelligent in like spotting you know how the next cryptocurrency or how to build a cryptocurrency or what that even means. And part of me imagines that, you know, maybe like Manny was like getting his information from other shills on Instagram and felt, okay, you know, there's like this revolution that's happening and I need to get involved in something like this. I don't know. I, I, um, I guess that what I'm saying is I think it's very possible that he's like a normal human being too. Oh, it's and definitely possible. I also think you're being very generous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are people around these people, and I think that's a much more telling thing. It would definitely surprise me if, like, Manny Pacquiao himself said, I want to build a cryptocurrency. Yeah. Let's do it. But those people don't always have the best interest of the cash cow at heart, right? You know, like, we can smash the piggy bank now, and if that destroys Manny and it destroys a ton of people that trust him and look up to him, doesn't matter because we're going to cash out from this. And that goes back to your point around, you know, it, whoever it is, Manny definitely, or, you know, in the case of Floyd Mayweather, not absolved for what's happening here, but probably also not squarely on them alone. 100%. Okay, we went from Portugal to Pacquiao. That's all we've got time <laughs> for now. Do you like that? Just came up with it. Uh, <laughs> that's all we've got time for now. Make sure you join us next week. We've got some really cool guests coming on board. More uh, coverage across Libra we'll be asking our guests about. Um, but until next time, uh, join us for another episode of the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate that. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing. And you can follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering, as well as email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com if you'd like to get in touch. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. 
please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.